Hi everyone. Quick note before we jump into the interview. In each of our previous episodes, I've included a really short bit about our sponsor, Bite Toothpaste Bits. The plastic-free toothpaste I've come to love ever since I started using them a month ago. Well, today, I get to interview Byte's co-founder, Lindsay McCormick. The story is a wild one. You'll hear her talk about getting a tabling machine, having to file paperwork with the DEA, going viral. The story is inspiring, it's wild, but the reason why I include this bit here if you've been trying to figure out easy ways to cut single-use plastic from your life, give Byte a try. Go to bitetoothpastebits.com, click on their four-month subscription, you can choose mint or charcoal, and the subscription gets you a four-month supply at two brushes a day, and use our code INGOODHANDS for $5 off. If you have any questions, please message me on Instagram at peterA11. That's it. Let's get on to the show. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. I love what you're doing here. Thank you. So let's jump right in, Lindsay. What is Bite? Bite is an all-natural, zero-waste toothpaste tablet. So instead of that icky, gooey paste that comes out of a plastic tube, it's a dry, power-packed tablet that comes in a glass bottle, and you pop the bit in your mouth, you bite down, and start brushing with a wet toothbrush. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get rid of these billion toothpaste tubes that end up in our landfills and our oceans every single year. So once you're done with your bits, once they're all gone, we actually send you a compostable refill packet that you just pour more bits into your glass jar is the only jar you'll ever need. You've sold over 25 million tablets and taking on this important problem of single-use plastics. How did we actually get here? If we rewind, you spent a lot of time in production, in entertainment. What's the pathway to bite? I've always been really passionate about conservation and the environment. I was a surf instructor and a snowboard instructor when I first got out of college. So I was outside all the time, just really enjoying being you know, in the mountains or in the ocean. And then I was working full-time as a TV producer, and I got in because I wanted to either work for travel shows or nature documentaries, and I ended up on housing shows. I was actually a producer on House Hunters for like four years, and it was so fun, and I traveled all around the U.S., but I was going through those little toothpaste tubes at just this crazy rate. And I started thinking about, I don't use plastic water bottles. I really try to make sustainable choices in my everyday life. And here I am just tossing out these toothpaste tubes, which I know sound like they're so small, but they really start to add up. And I wanted to look into alternatives. So I started looking at what was on the market. There's tooth powder and you know other toothpaste tablets, but they were either in plastic containers, which didn't really help my problem, or I didn't really like the taste or the ingredients. And so I started kind of just looking into what is toothpaste? What is the point of it? Like, what is it supposed to do? What is it made out of? And how can I make my own? And so I just kind of, it snowballed into this obsession of mine that eventually led to the actual formula that we use today for bite toothpaste bits. So there's a number of videos that have gone viral across social, across a number of news outlets of you in your living room, mask over the mouth and actually tinkering with this machine during that first mile. Like I've read stories about you teaching yourself through online chemistry classes 
you talking to dentists, and then you have this machine in your living room. I mean, what, <laughs> yeah, what was that like? it was crazy. I thank you. First of all, thank you so much for doing so much research, Peter. That's amazing. But it was, man, I'm super open about the fact that I don't have a dentistry background. I don't have a chemistry background. And I think because of that, I was able to look at the problem in a whole new light. I think that sometimes it takes an outsider to really look in and question like, why are we doing what we're doing? But being an outsider, it meant I needed a lot. I needed to do a lot of work to even have a basic understanding of what this was, you know? So I started off by actually, there was a Reddit thread that says everything you wanted to know about chemistry from like high school to PhD. And you could take free online classes. They pulled every sort of open source chemistry class from the internet and put it in this thread. And so I just went through and I took every single class that would be relevant to me and what I was trying to do just to get a basic understanding of of chemistry and how this is going to react to, you know, us, you know, what I was doing. And then I basically just made friends with a lot of dentists and dental hygienists and say like, what do you guys think of this? Do you think this is right? Like, am I going down the right path here? And really just pull all of that together to have something that was effective and, and sustainable, but also brand new to what's out there. Clearly you've put that philosophy to work because in the videos, like how did you even know how to work your way Oh my gosh, around- the tableting machine. Yes. Sorry, when you were so, saying, dude, uh, <laughs> that's really funny. So this is going to be a little off color, but I'm going to be honest, like I had to figure out how to make tablets and that is not a normal thing. And honestly, people go to school for, for tableting and, and how to figure that out. But I was like, I need to figure out how to make tablets in my living room who makes tablets in their living room. And I was like, people who make drugs. So I literally went on Reddit and I was like, how do you make drugs? And I was looking up how to make it. And that was the first way it was, oh, I need a binder. Oh, I need this. And that was super helpful. And I was doing it for toothpaste. And so when I bought my first machine, I had it come in from China and I had to send in information to the DEA about why I was buying this tableting machine. And I wrote in the little answer, organic toothpaste tablets. And I was like, there's no way that they think this is true. But I got the machine. And then I actually it ended up being used. It was it was weird. So I had to send it back. And I ended up getting the machine from a company in the US. And they were incredibly helpful. And I was on Skype with the guy who runs the company who sold me the machine, probably about once a week. Every morning before work, I had a new problem. And I was like, man, can you help me with this? And we would sit there and Skype and I would show him. And he'd be like, oh, this piece needs to be screwed in tighter. Oh, this needs to happen. But it was a learning curve. I mean, tableting is, is hard. And then when I graduated to the electrical machine that you'd plug in, it would do 2,500 tablets an hour. That one was even more intense because it was loud and it was dangerous. And so, I mean, and I had to figure out how to do that. So I get, I don't know. You just, you learn and you be obsessed and then you find people who can help you out. You talked at the beginning of the interview, you've sold, you know, tens of millions of these tablets. You've been featured on Oprah, BuzzFeed, Fox. Why do you think Byte is resonating? I started this company as an advocate and like an activist, not necessarily an entrepreneur. As we kind of talked about, my background was in TV and content and that's what I saw myself doing. So the fact that I am running a toothpaste company is, is new to me. And it's because I saw a, a problem that I wanted to solve and it was incredibly authentic. And it was, I didn't care if I didn't sell one jar. 
I made this because I was like, this is something that I feel like needs to exist. I would use this. My my parents and my hippie friends would use this and I will make this no matter what. And so just again, coinciding with the fact that consumers are just becoming more conscious and they're they're really becoming more involved in their health and the decisions that they're making and how they impact the planet. And then also the fact that we really don't take any shortcuts, especially when we have a very open relationship with our customers on social media. We're kind of, we're always talking to them and asking them questions and, and really learning from them. And I, because of that, we've had so much loyalty and word of mouth. And a really great example of this is that when I first started this company, I thought that being able to have EcoCert palm oil was okay. So I had a small amount of EcoCert palm oil in our foaming agent. And I was like, that's totally fine. It's eco-certified. I understand that there's issues with palm oil, but this is eco-certified. It'll be fine. And then as we got bigger and we had more people jump on with our mission, they started asking us to really take a second look at this saying, Hey, I know that you use EcoCert palm oil, but you really need to look into the process of that. Like it doesn't seem to align with your company values. And so I did, I listened to our customers and I really did a deep dive on research and I realized they were right. It is hard to trace this palm oil and it is hard to make sure that it's sourced in a sustainable way. And so what we did is we completely reformulated our entire line. And we went from realizing there was a problem to having newly formulated 100% palm oil free tablets out on the market within four months. It's just because of that, people really, they want to be able to stand behind a company that really cares about them and what they think. And that's totally what we, what we are and what we do. That is a perfect example of the David versus Goliath advantage. So as a startup, specifically as a direct to consumer startup, You can iterate so quickly on your product. You hear your customers' concerns and then immediately re-engineer the product so that it serves the market need. Whereas as the Goliath CPG company, I mean, what? One, you have to assume, are they listening to the customer at all? If so, it takes committees of approval that you have to re-engineer your supply chain. I mean, this is a perfect example of one of the, the perks of starting up and focusing exclusively on a problem that you care about that's authentic and you know you're listening to your customers yeah thank you and that's true i would say one of the biggest things like supply chain man you hit the nail on the head because that has been so incredibly hard for us and i'm so thankful that we are a startup and we are nimble and that it's everything that we do is different we use glass bottles instead of plastic and you think oh why is that so different well it's when you're working with a tablet manufacturer most i would say 90% of tablets 95% of tablets come in plastic bottles and the thing is you can just throw those plastic bottles into what it's called like this huge scrambler you can throw thousands and thousands and it just shoots them out and then fills them with tablets so it's super easy but when you have glass they have to be put on by hand Everything is different from the fact that we have paper labels instead of these plastic-based labels to aluminum lids, which then also have to be put on by hand. Like It's all just so different. And setting up that supply chain, now we know how to do it. You know, like we've done, we've done everything wrong. You know, we've hit every single issue that could possibly hit. But it's unfortunate, but our industry in general is not set up to be sustainable. That's the problem. I want to transition slightly to one of the consumer behavior challenges. So the core difference 
in behavior here is you're now using a tablet. You're putting into your mouth, you're biting down, you're starting to brush. And it's bucking the trend of something that we've done over our entire life. We're used to the pace that comes out of the tube. How have you navigated that challenge? I would say we ask ourselves the same question. How is this habit? Like, how are people so game to change something? I mean, I can't think of a habit that is more ingrained in us than toothpaste because you've done it every single day since you were three years old, twice a day. That is something that's so ingrained. But here we are, people just wanting to kind of uproot those norms and try something new. And I, I think that it shows the power of video. And I also think it just shows the fact that people are more willing to try something new. And I will say, I mean, obviously I'm completely biased, but I do think that once you get over the initial weirdness of trying a tablet, because you bite down and you're kind of, it breaks up like a Smarty, right? It's going to powder all over your mouth. And then you start using a wet toothbrush and it starts foaming up. It's totally different from what you're used to in that first step. But then once you're brushing your teeth, you're kind of like, oh, this is normal. Like it's just, it's like toothpaste. It's not, you don't have that, you know, sake in the face mint because we don't use artificial flavors, but it is, it is very similar to toothpaste. And I think that once people kind of get used to the idea of the powder and then the brushing, they actually really like it. And in going back to toothpaste kind of, we get, we have a lot of reviews and a lot of people who comment about how going back or like when they go to a friend's house and they forgot their bits, they're kind of like, oh, it feels kind of gross. We're not into it anymore. It coats my teeth weird. And like, you know, it's really interesting that you're just, wow, it took you a month to just completely want to do away with an old habit. In less than two years, you've sold millions of tablets. I mean, come on. But I, I, I need to ask, about the next part of the roadmap. Is scaling into retail important for you? Like, is that top of mind? Are you exploring that in any way? Yeah, that's a, again, I feel like you're asking all the really good questions. This is something that we're talking about. We're just kind of figuring out as well. Like, I err on the side. I love D2C, which is direct to consumer. I love it. And I, because I love having this relationship with our customer, again, being able to know the palm oil thing, being able to know, you know, they wanted it more minty, we made it more minty. Like this kind of relationship is so important to me. But then at the same point, you go and you think about retail and you're like, our goal as a company is to get less plastic in landfills and fewer chemicals in people's bodies. And the way that you can do that, you know, D2C really is only going to go to so many people, people who are already familiar with buying things online. And if we really want to have the most change and the most impact, that would be going retail, right? That is how you go and you touch, you know, millions and millions and millions of people as opposed to people who understand to buy things online. A really interesting analogy in folding today is you see plant-based or, or even just like synthetic meat altogether being stocked in grocery stores and supermarkets next to beef. And as a consequence, you have these major food companies coming out saying, no, you're not allowed to label it as a burger. Imagine a future where Bite is taking over Walgreens, CVS, and it's next to all the other toothpaste. And now you have Colgate saying, oh, Bite can't be called toothpaste because, you know. Right, right. They need to be a tooth powder tablet or something. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's, that's, that's a real, that's a real thing. And that it's, it's, I love the vegan analogy because the same growth in 
the plastic free movement is is like just behind the vegan movement. Alexis Ohanian posted something on Twitter that points to research that shows that type of complaining or boycotting does the exact opposite of what they intend. I mean, now you have maybe millions of people that are now learning about the alternatives because media is picking it up. An important thing for us setting good hands is talking about impact. Most of the narrative today is, you know, while important, it's it's dystopian. As a reader or listener, it makes us feel helpless. So what we try to do is highlight the progress. So my question for you is, how are you measuring impact at Byte? Speaking to the dystopian future, right? I think that's something that all of us in sustainable, zero-waste, eco-friendly industries waver back and forth because we wouldn't have gotten into this if we didn't see that we needed to make a change. But honestly, we wouldn't be able to survive this on an emotional and mental level if we weren't optimists at heart. I think for me personally, I waver. On good days, I feel very optimistic. And on bad days, I'm like, oh my God, the world is ending. And so for us, what we do as a company is continue to try to really push the industry in a more sustainable way. I know that when it comes to the crests and the coal gates of the world, we are a drop in the bucket. We're tiny. And so I would say for us measuring impact, it's going to be the amount that we're able to grow and scale and sell. The more we do that, the more of an impact that we're having because we are really trying to keep everything as absolutely relentlessly sustainable as possible. Yeah. And to anyone listening and considering making a leap into this category, whatever you want to label it, it's not clean tech, but it's just operating with sustainable or sustainably first principles. I mean, you're a case study in that like you can be respectful about customer needs. You can be sustainable first and have a meaningful business. So I hear you on like the people sometimes agonizing, oh, impact can't coexist with profit. But I think what listeners will hear throughout the seasons at In Good Hands is that there no longer needs to be tension between business opportunity and sustainability. I agree. And that's one of the thesis for for us as as a company, right? Is me as the advocate, I will say, we will always like the advocate running this company. I will say like, we will always make the most sustainable choices at all costs, whether that, you know, costs us profit, whether that costs us time, whatever we will, we will constantly make the most sustainable choices, like, and the most healthy choices. And then me as the CEO of this company will say, and the reason that we do that is because I truly believe our customers will reward us with their business from being so true to our mission. You know, and I think that that those two things go hand in hand of being, we need to make the best choices. And I believe that, you know, our customers and the industry will reward us for doing that. And I think that those can completely coincide together and that you can be an advocate and a CEO and it doesn't need to be at odds. I'm also interested, you know, fast forward a year, two years, what is next? I mean, are you considering or exploring other products, other categories? I feel like there's so much room for us in toothpaste or just in oral care in general. I just feel, and especially because I have so much 
context now with speaking to dentists and speaking to dental hygienists about what they think is wrong with their industry and what makes what keeps them up at night. Uh, being someone who's like a sustainably centric, but also working in the oral care industry, there's so much that we can do there. I feel to really make things more eco friendly and not in the dentist's office, but like in on your home bathroom counter. And so. I love the idea of just continuing to look at what's on your bathroom counter and what hasn't been questioned. What is not eco-friendly? What is using bad ingredients? What can we do to make it better for our bodies and better for the planet? And then what can I innovate and really bring to the table on that? So anything that we can really innovate on is something that I'm really interested in. Amazing. So like I say to all my guests, my favorite part of the interview is the lightning round. We'll do a couple questions. We'll try to answer each of them in 60 seconds or less. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. So if you were a direct-to-consumer marketing manager with a limited budget, what are some of the non-obvious channels you've seen meaningful return? Boom. All right. That's a good lightning round question. Let's see. I would say, I mean, for us, these are obvious, but Facebook and Instagram have been the two main things. But I'm going to say for real, what I first started, I went to every vegan zero waste uh, event convention and I went and I passed out samples of bite. So I would say like do the groundwork and as like the founder of your company, you will get invaluable feedback on the ground by doing that. The second question, as I was digging into the archives, I went to your alma mater's website. They did an awesome profile of you, but part of it was you did your senior project on deforestation. Yeah. What was that about? (laughs) So I did my senior thesis presentation on deforestation of the rainforest and why biomass matters. (laughs) And it basically was all about, and this was, I mean, I graduated in, oh my God, 07. It was forever ago. Oh my God, I'm old. But it was talking about how when we damage the rainforest, it's not just the trees. There's also biomass there that when you, um, when you burn it or kill it, it releases even more carbon into the atmosphere than, than just trees alone. And so my entire thing was standing up there talking to people about why the rainforest matters and why we need to, you know, make these changes and like the simple changes you could do because I was like if I'm going to get the mic this is what I'm going to say. And so that was that was back in the day what I did. <laughs> I love it. So I'm going to I'm going to stick with the back in the day because your first sent out of college was reporting on a 3-week bike across America race. Yes. What memory sticks out from that experience? Oh, that is a great, that is a great question. That was a fun time. Uh, I got that job off Craigslist, by the way. Can we just, can we talk about that? They were literally hiring it for, from off Craigslist. I was like, I will apply for this. So we went, it's just so a little context. I know we have to be quick, but it was Race Across America where these bicyclists went from San Diego to Annapolis, Maryland, and they raced on their bikes across the US. And what we were is we were in an SUV and this was before like everyone had, you know, cell phones that were like as powerful as now. So we had this SUV with a satellite on top of it. And we would go and we would drive all the way up to the front racer and we'd interview them while they were while they were riding. And then we'd loop all the way back, sometimes like two states, and we would talk to them and see see how they're doing as well. It was it was crazy. But I would say, I guess what really sticks out, just the beauty of the US. 
I had never been able to go. I had never done a road trip across the U.S. until that point. And being able to go through Texas and some parts of Oklahoma and just kind of seeing it, you know, sometimes each state two or three times because we were driving back and forth. I was just like, man, this is this is a beautiful country. <laughs> so that would be the first things that I that I uh, that really stuck out. So to round out the the lightning round, who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? And this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's really true. Our customers, especially like our power customers who really give us a lot of feedback. Like they're super, they're the ones who called me out on my palm oil BS. Like there's the one, you know, who are like, this is not sustainable. I was like, oh my God, you're right. They are the ones like I learn so much from them. Number two, I would say, and this is another like, not, I don't mean to be cliche, but I'm right now I'm reading um, Jane Goodall's book, A Hope for Animals, A Hope for like our planet and animals. I don't even know. I'm like in the middle of reading it. I don't even know the name. She's really great at pointing out a problem, but being gentle and optimistic about it. And I think that for me, I can kind of get really, you know, heated and emotional about issues. And I think that she just brings this gentleness to our cause, you know, not Bites cause, but to anybody who's trying to make the world a better place cause. And I think it's incredibly inspiring. Amazing. (laughs) Knocked out the lightning round. No problem. (laughs) Before we go, uh, I always like to lay out the red carpet. Is there any final notes, plugs you'd like to give to our listeners? We live in like a scary, but also amazing time. And I think that right now we're all just really on that edge of doing really great things and pushing the world in a more sustainable way. And I think, you know, especially anybody like us who's really involved in this, and even if you're more peripheral or just getting your feet wet, understanding that like to take in all of the scary information, to internalize it and then realize like what we can do to make a difference. And like the the understanding that one per as one person, you have so much power. Your everyday routines, your everyday choices, they really add up. And to to be able to just make simple changes or big changes, like we are creating the future and your dollars are your vote. And the more that we kind of band together and really demand changes from not just our government, but also from companies holding them accountable, the better off we're all going to be. And to just realize that your own power and that you hold this and that we are the future, I think that's just something that just continually needs to be pushed into people's mind because I'm sure you're the same way, Peter. Like sometimes we all spin out and you forget that like, oh man, like I, I have the power to make a change. So that's all that I would say. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I can get behind this. I think our listeners can get behind that. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was amazing. Thank you for having me, Peter. This was great. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure. And thank you so much for sponsoring this season of In Good Hands to you, to Asher, to the entire Byte family. And to all of you listening, if you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. It really does mean a lot to us. And sincere thanks to Dan Mahoney and Lucas Arndt, who produced this week's episode, and to Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. And if you'd like to recommend a guest, 
sponsor an episode, or help spread the message, you can find us on social at InGoodHands or our website, InGoodHands.us. Again, huge, huge thanks to all of you for your support. We really do appreciate it and can't wait to bring you another new episode next Tuesday.